Welcome, reanimated fans. This is H.A. Conrad coming to you from Brooklyn and on the West Coast, my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. Greetings. Hello. Hello. Um, so we got a couple little news items today, but then we're going to jump into the next couple of episodes from Fear of the Walking Dead. Uh, this, uh, I think that is episodes three and four. Um, and then, you know, we're, we're going to do our usual little chat about some COVID things and get on with it. But uh, how are you this fine Sunday? Oh, it's dark and drizzly. Oh, it's beautiful here. Things. It's beautiful here. I was just having socially distanced rooftop breakfast coffee with my, my our neighbors, um, our uh, across-the-street neighbors. And it is honestly, like, it feels like it's in the 60s almost. So, and sunny. So, you know, there's that. Well, what you might call beautiful, I would say, uh, been there, done that, don't need any more sun. I want rain. I want rain for 12 months. All right. Well, you might get it. You might get it. Um, I hope so. I did see there was that whole thing about a superstorm potential thing. I don't know if you saw it um, over California and people aren't prepped for it or something like that. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it because it's too terrifying. I mean, and and honestly, I feel like talking about it in 2020 is a dangerous thing to do regardless. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, COVID news, Pfizer vaccine has been approved. Um, there's a little tool on the New York Times website where you can see where you are in line, and I'm most decidedly behind <laughs> millions of people. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but supposedly they're going to start giving that out pretty quickly. Um, and then I don't know what the update on the Moderna is yet, uh, but I would imagine that's going to be quickly on the heels of that. Um, so we'll see. We'll, we'll be, and, you know, I guess we time will tell just because this is an incredibly um, large vaccine operation. You got to get underway with the two doses and all that stuff and then getting it to everybody. And then there are definitely places that I would call vaccine deserts where it's going to be harder for people to get it. Um, like let where? Alone. Um, out in the Midwest. Um, what? Yeah. What? Yeah, well, I mean, there's just not... I mean, if, it, honestly, like, if you've ever been out to, like, New Mexico and other... Like, if there's, like, super rural places, a lot of them usually, like, we notice this a lot, but the last time we were in New Mexico a few years ago, you know, there's Taos and, and Santa Fe and, and Albuquerque, but when you start driving around, um, there really isn't a ton in a lot of those smaller towns, um, especially like small, small pharmacies and things like that have closed down the nearest. And for the most part, it's sort of taken over by the big box stores. So, um, people have to drive like hours to get to like a Walmart or whatever. And that's the primary grocery store and pharmacy and stuff like that. So imagine that scenario for vaccine operations. So unless you're setting up clinics and remember, we've got to keep this particular vaccine, if we're talking about the Pfizer vaccine, um, extraordinarily cold, both in shipment and, I mean, it doesn't, it's not really stable for very long outside of taking it out of that deep freeze. Okay. So, well, yeah, we'll there's some, there are some hard to reach parts of this country for sure. Yeah. I will have to take umbrage with you describing New Mexico as the Midwest, but I'm not saying it's taken. the Midwest. I was using this as a place that I had actually been to in terms of, sorry, it is def clearly not the Midwest. That is more Southwest. Um, but you know, I like, I think that, um, but even more so like that's a place that has very specific, you know, cities and things like that. Um, and then in the Midwest, you're just talking about just a lot more land and a lot more land that doesn't necessarily have, I mean, it's our farmland. So you've got like 
populations that are going to have to really make an effort to go and get this. Um, and mm. right now, I mean, if you're looking at what's happening in um, the, uh, North and South Dakota and a lot of the places that are hardest hit, I think it's going to be, look, I think they can do it, but I just think it's going to take a lot of coordination and it's going to take a long time, not to it's mention. It's going to take time. So, um, but in happier, you know, and, and, oh, and New York is shutting down restaurant eating and, and that kind of thing as of Monday. So they're taking, I mean, yep. the numbers are far above what, where they were in the spring. So I, I'm not shocked at this. So we'll see what happens. Um, yep. Anyway, how's things on the West Coast? Oh, we got shut down too. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as a state and then as a county also. Uh, I mean, we've been <laughs> tracking over 30,000 yeah. new cases a day for the last like four days in yeah. California. So, yeah, you can't really argue. Uh, we need to be doing things differently. Yep. But, you know, let's talk about something fun, though. I mean, uh, Disney announced an insane number of potential TV shows. God, that I was mean, a Twitter explosion. Marvel, um, like a ton of like Marvel shows, a ton of Star Wars shows. Yeah, um, we got well, this. of the Star Wars. What's the th- what's the one that you're probably most excited for? Um, any project between film or series? I think I'm very excited to see Rosario Dawson. Just more and more of her, and she's yeah. got her whole character has got a whole thing going on. I like that. Um, I kind of like the whole uh, you know start the the rogue uh, stormtrooper one. That looks kind of interesting to me. Wait, what Rogue Stormtrooper one? I think there's like a Rogue Stormtrooper thing that the dire- Patty Jenkins is supposed to be directing. Rogue Squadron. Sorry, That's Rogue Squadron. Um, X-Wing, an X-Wing, X-Wing squadron. Guys. Um, that but- should be that should be interesting. Um, I, I for me uh, the series starring oh, Diego Luna, um, Andor. The yeah. one about the guy from Rogue One mm-hmm. is the one that I was kind of least expecting and am Most strangely excited very excited about. for. Yeah, um, And let's not that. even, I mean, we know that this is a zombie podcast, but I will just tell you, I am, the Mandalorian this season has been exceeding and crushing any expectations I had. Just crazy. I mean, it just is amazing. So, um, just uh, amazing. Um, all my little childhood, you know dreams are coming true in this series uh, i'm showing so. i was um i had uh, attack of the clones on yesterday morning for the for some entertainment and it was cool to see uh, i'm not sure how to pronounce his first name but temuera morrison the guy who plays the clone uh, Django fett oh He's yeah 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 but the original um i guess the original foundling yep uh and so he's in that he's also voicing obviously all the clone troopers I don't think he goes on to voice the clone troopers in the Clone Wars animated series, but it's so awesome to have him back in The Mandalorian. And yeah. I guess I shouldn't give away too many spoilers, but it's yeah, so I'm... awesome to have him back and to think that if there are clones out there who still are alive, and I know that there are one or two at least from Rebels or Clone Wars or one of those shows, yeah. that he could also play them in a live action version. Hmm. I think that that is um, potentially pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, I am going to give away one spoiler. Just This is one of the things that just gave me so much joy. Um, so if you haven't seen Mandalorian, close your ears for a second. I'll be really fast. Um, but the visual of seeing Slave One across oh, the sky made me, like, so happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Everything about 
Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just been it's yeah. just been a like lot when of fun. I saw it in you know when it first made the appearance and and then yeah it's just mm-hmm. making me really really happy that whole storyline is making me happy so oh, anywho yeah. like I well, I digress but let's talk about the other one of the other announcements so Marvel had a rash of announcements um, mm-hmm. did you see I don't know the WandaVision one which is kind of interesting it looks um, really weird it's yeah. very strange um, but but also and we've talked about this on the show there is a Marvel what if um, a series that they're that they tr- gave a sort of a teaser for, uh, and there's a little t- there's a little trailer featuring zombie Cap, which is, I guess, causing nightmares for some people. Um, but, namely my seven year old, yeah, yeah. Which was a mistake. Um, I did not re- I did not expect that. The art style is so pretty. Like I was just like, oh, this is gonna be great. And it then is pretty. A zombie. It looks it looks really beautiful. Um, so you know. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see that I would definitely watch this. So let's, let's see what happens. Um, yeah, and then, we are going to be spoiled for choice, but some of these projects are no dates associated with, and these could be like four years out and Disney could completely 180 off of them again, right. as they kind of seem to have done in the past. But I'm, I'm holding out hope that we get to see some of these. Right. And before we move on off of this, I think I would like to point out that, um, and we saw this announcement and it's not a great great news for for movie theaters but i think just given how long the situation is going on and the situations that a lot of these um a lot of uh, these studios have been in um we're seeing more much more uh movement to releasing things simultaneously on streaming um when they're releasing them in the theaters and granted you have to pay a premium if you want to see them at your home um but at least for now i think that this probably makes sense i mean we're seeing wonder woman is coming out on christmas day um and that was something that i think that they had really they really wanted that in the theaters and i don't blame them because i bet it would look really good in the theaters but uh they don't have much of a choice i don't think so um so they're i think i'm wondering what we will see long term in terms of being able to see some of these productions in theaters like if theaters if this is the death knell i hope not because i love seeing movies in theaters um, but I ha- I cannot lie. Like we have a projector, we have a very cozy setup here. So, you know, I can also, especially right now, uh, like it seems fantastic to me that you're able to be able to actually see this content. And especially for people with families and things like that, I think it makes a lot of sense when, you know, similar like to ball games and things like that, going to the movies is a very expensive endeavor. Um, if you want to take the whole family, um, which didn't used to be the case. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I think it's why well, I'm of two minds about it. I, I, I hear some of the vocal opponents to this saying like, oh, this is terrible. Um, but I'm going to be excited to watch. I don't know that I'm going to watch them on Christmas Day, but like, you know, Wonder Woman. I forget what the other two were that um, are going to be on HBO Max. But there's going to be some good stuff. Yeah. Um, and but clearly they're going to throw away tons of box office, yeah. um, and and that's just the price that apparently they're willing to pay to get these projects out the door before the end of the year. I well, I mean, look, I don't think anybody expected this to be as long as it was. You know, like they even pushed out Wonder Woman. They kept pushing out the release date. I think hoping yeah. that they could do the theater thing, and then when it became clear that they couldn't, they're like, "Well, this is this is our option." And so I understand. I I feel. Look, I there, Almo Drafthouse, um, Nighthawk, those two theaters. That model I love. Um, you can go and enjoy a beer and a, a really good meal, and 
go with your friends and and I love seeing movies in the theater. It's a very different experience and I would totally agree, but I also like we don't have many options right now. So I think that's they're doing what they got to do. Yeah. Our local theater, we have one theater in my town where I live. It's been closed for months. Yeah. They should they the the company who owned it, they have a few in the area. They're like a regional theater mm-hmm. company or cinema company. And I think this is the only one that they were like, nope, we're done. That's Ugh. that was always their uh, lost leader, I think. Ugh. But they've been like refurbishing it with leather yeah. seating. You could drink beers in there. It was it was really nice, but it was tiny. But now we just uh, we have to drive seven miles. I think is the closest, the next closest uh, movie theater. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I, I don't think it's totally done yet. I think maybe when things come back, people will be so excited to be able to go out that that might be a good thing. Um, but it's just whether these places can hold on long enough. I mean, at least with Nighthawk. Um, so they had originally had a theater in Williamsburg, and then they bought this terrible theater. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was like decrepit and months and months and months of them rehabbing it and finding things like they found like a secret um, sort of room slash office that had, you know, somebody had clearly been living in for years, perhaps. <laughs> like, oh, it was God. very much out of, like, a horror film. Um, and then they realized that the whole place was, like, riddled with, like, bugs and all this stuff. Like, so the project which they had projected to take them something like six months ended up taking them a year and a half because they basically had to take the whole theater down to its studs. Um, and there were some cool things they found during the course of that, but they, they shelled out a lot of money into that project and they had really just started to get going when COVID like they, they had really gotten hit their stride and then COVID happened. And now it's like their investors are just basically keeping it afloat now or yeah, I think so. Um, and they're doing, I mean, look, they're doing takeout and we've seen, you know, there's people that there's like they've almost set up like kind of a cafe, but there's just no way that they're doing enough no. business and trade to be able to, you know, and their food is really good. So that's the other. I mean, it was a great and they had like going into this theater. It was just a really fun place to go. Um, so anyway, I'm I'm hoping for them because I, I would really I really hope that they um, stay alive. But we'll see. Um, but anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, but anyway, so Captain a captain zombie and then you and then this other holiday special thing yeah i've been trying to figure out I for don't, a while what the walking dead holiday special was yeah, going to be i had thought it was in universe but i guess it's actually just like a talking dead yeah, brady thing. bunch zoom reunion which that could be fine too i was a little bit i don't want to really admit it excited to see what the um, life day celebrations for the Walking Dead universe would be, <laughs> as we talked about before. Well, uh, maybe because you just I need... feel like it's a thing. Like you know, they have anachronistic things going on in the show yeah. sometimes, and and I, you you would imagine that yeah, like around the darkest, longest night of the year, the coldest time of the year, they would probably try to do something to yeah. like cheer themselves up. And it would have been interesting to see an episode devoted to that. Well, it's kind of interesting just relating it to the COVID stuff, but like everybody around here has been doing crazy like holiday things, I think just to cheer themselves up. And that's been sort of a narrative is that buy a lot of holiday lights and put them all up and make yourself feel better. And so, you know, I could see this being a thing in the walking dead universe but you know we'll see maybe we just have to for our zombie cheer just need to watch anna and the apocalypse again but we should do that one other interesting factoid about this uh, reunion is that emily kinney and irony singleton t-dog and beth green 
are going to be part mm. of the reunion. It's like all current cast members and then two people who haven't been on the show in years. Weird. In T-Dog's case, seven years. Mm, maybe they'll have her sing. I don't know. She is going to sing. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> yeah. you go. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, let's chat about let's chat about Fear the Walking Dead. So we've got it's, Alaska it's and uh, let's see. The key. The key. Um, so, you know, we've got the uh, Alaska, um, has a little bit, a little bit of Morgan, but not as much as obviously in the, in the premiere. Yeah. Kind of um, just like the cold open is, is Morgan. This is also a Coleman Domingo directed episode. Hmm. So, uh, written, uh, written by Mallory Westfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like this episode. I liked it too. Um, I have some, some definite, uh, things with this episode mainly related to plague um which we'll oh, get into the, the boobos yeah, yeah. Um, um it's a bit what's interesting is that it's an owl episode which we tend to not like no, but, but we did like the last episode had... that was owl with isabel that's true and, and and even though isabel isn't featured greatly she's talked about a lot and it's that's the motivation i think that we like with owl as opposed to uh, the journalism take. Yeah. I also like Dwight and I think that's part of why I liked this. He had more lines than he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And he was much more, it's like, ah, it, it, I have, so, I still have some questions about this character and there's some definite questions that this whole thing raised, but I like him a lot. And, um, you know, I, I think that he and Al as sort of a buddy cop, um, you know, show would work. An um, interesting duo, those two. Yeah, so they are, you know, they're working for Virginia's team. Um, they they are videotaping everything, which seems just kind of dumb again. Once again, this whole videotaping <sighs> thing is just stupid. Um, but what I did like is the karmic sort of, oh, now now you have to go pro stuff. Yeah. Uh, because this is your punishment. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it is a little bit kind of like uh, schadenfreude for me to see Elle having to tape things and yet being pissed off about it. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you on that, and I kind of, thought the same thing but um they're basically their jobs for virginia's community is to go out to see why certain um survivor groups failed um and you know they they're they're very again once again i need to comment on the fact how badass this group of people you know the it's so much such a contrast from the world beyond um, no. and they can take out multiple walkers in like really tight, uh, confines, um, definitely are, are very capable, um, both as a team, but also by themselves. Um, we've also got an interestingly similar dynamic, uh, between Dwight and, and Al, as we've seen between other sort of duos that, that we, you know, Felix and, uh, Huck and that kind of thing. Like they very much trust each other and, and um they've but these two definitely have like a good chemistry like they there is this feeling that they depend on each other and i liked their interactions Um, they really open up to one another they're talking about and they're both talking about their romantic interests which mm -hmm. is rare on this show i think like when they don't the show doesn't let people hook up that much no Um, and i also think it calls out some of the things you and i have talked about before it's just like Dwight's weird quest for Sherry, not knowing whether he's hallucinating or not, not mm-hmm. knowing, you know, whether she's actually out there or not. And he even calls it out at one point. It's like, yeah, I was I was delirious and dehydrated. I don't know what I heard. Um, yeah. But the the overall theme of this, this search for love that Al is doing also, and 
and Dwight is doing, these are direct, I think, of these as being direct links to John Dory searching for June in the first oh, yeah. season that the, uh, Shambliss and Goldberg were showrunners for. They were like, oh, people liked it when we did that. So let's, let's do more of that. Let's double down and have two parallel searching for love stories in one season. So, it, it, I mean, I'm not trying to be too cynical, but it does it does feel a little bit like they're they're looking for formulas that will work for them on this show. And I think that that relates back to Strand's developing storyline, too. Yeah. And I mean, I think that they need to have people having something to believe in and something positive and what's more positive than this. Um, I will say that the whole tagline, the whole thing with with Al looking for Isabel um, and then even this whole thing where, you know, she's been listening in to hear um, like communications and, and Dwight finds out about it. And then he's like, well, we got to go find your love. And OK, mm-hmm. well, you know what? Al knows that whatever group of people she's mixed up with are pretty dangerous. Um, she gets that. And yet they still are like going to put her out on the roof, like a sitting duck. <laughs> um, and with, cause yeah. it's not like Isabel's alone. She's got like a whole crew of people with her. Um, they also even, they've also seen what this crew of people have done. Like, because it's like CRM, but what they've done to others, like they come across somebody that got, Basically, and they know this because they hear from one of his friends that he went up to the roof, he got shot and pushed off. And, you know, like, so yet she's still going to go up and meet them. And and this whole thing where it's just to me, this is, again, I liked the episode, but this part, I'm like, no, this is just stupid. The the formaldehyde zombie, I thought was an interesting take. It was uh, and and just like the, you know the going through this funeral home it's like clearly been a, a, a an established settlement almost their weird driver's license game i enjoyed that and the way that they yeah. kind of took that from start to finish in this episode and i do have to say though crm would not be using unencrypted radio nope. communications and um there's no way unless the the man that isabel is talking to is really really close there's no way they would be able to hear him because of line of sight and distance mm-hmm. um so it makes sense that they could hear the helicopter potentially once it's within like i don't know 15 miles or le- i don't know how long the range is on that walkie but it's a handheld it doesn't have a massive antenna nope. so unless she's doing like circles around al's position it's fairly unlikely that she would be able to hear isabel uh, right. i just wanted to point those kind of failures well, out <laughs> there's that also but you know we've also seen what crm does to survivors and so the idea that this person is on a walkie, even doing what Al is doing, do you, I don't really believe that they would leave that alone, that she's listening to their unencrypted, what, uh, they just seem extraordinarily protective of yeah. their secrecy because that's what it's taken for them to survive. I don't think that they would leave this un, uh, I don't think they would leave this loop open, basically. Um, and whoever this operations guy is that um, Isabel is talking to at the end of the episode, if he couldn't hear Al, he still can hear his pilot talking to someone else right. on their net. And, and, and so, yeah, I agree. I mean, they we, know that there has been a breach of security. Yeah, and we've also seen, you know, even with um, Huck and her mother, there is, you know distrust there even within the whole crm thing so i just don't i think that their reaction has generally been to like crush down any kind of person that knows anything deep about them and anything and somebody who's able to sort of break into this thing i just don't feel like they would leave this alone and maybe they aren't maybe we are going to see more of this later so 
Um, but I just thought that that was kind of an odd way to to kind of deal with it. We've also had in the in the pre-credits scene, uh, the, the cold open, Morgan has been kind of complaining to Rachel that people aren't going to recognize him anymore. Especially, well, Grace, I think, is the person he's thinking <laughs> of because like, he's had to change about? himself so many times. And now he's wearing Emil's clothes, but he shaved his beard off and made his um, walking stick into the long handle for the axe, which I thought happened last Yes, yeah, so episode. did I. But, um, it's... I'm like, yeah, you have changed a bunch of times because you've been insane t- on two different occasions. Yeah. Also, Morgan, let's not forget that you've had two kind of trips to crazy town. Yep. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Grace has not been around for any of that. So maybe if she had been, she would not be so into you. Um, but I don't think from what you are now versus what you were last season, there has been a huge t- difference. No, I agree. And I am just kind of like, oh, God, are we going through another Morgan um, like soul searching, crazy ass journey. Always. When are you not Always. on a so, Morgan soul searching? But anyway, we got, and he's basically going out. He's gotten some supplies from uh, uh, from Mister uh, Salazar. Um, and what I will point out is that you know he basically goes and gets like a jumpsuit or something of Grace's so he can have his trusty bloodhound Rufus smell it and and search for her. But would Daniel really leave a note with his initials on it if he's, like, so undercover within Ginny's organization? I don't think so. I mean, he's also, like, this catatonic barber. How did he get out to this fireworks stand? We are talking about the uh, the key episode when we – this is, like, the pre credit scene. For right, the key. right. But but I'm but, just saying, yeah. like, like this is just yeah. – yeah. He has uh, access that he shouldn't have, like, to just wander around outside. Yeah. And, yeah, he probably should not be leaving his initials on anything. Yeah. But in any case – uh, just not a stealthy way to go about things. Um, but we've got so so. Let's get back to our our intrepid duo here. In this office building, mm-hmm. it's a cool setting. It's very crazy that these people have been living there for ten plus years. Yeah. So they've been living there. There's rats, um, and they Dwight and and Al come upon these survivors, um, Nora, and I don't know the names of the other people. But um, what they discover, um, because Al apparently spent some time in Algeria, I think is what she said, is that they have the bubonic plague, um, mainly from these rats. Um, Al is such a get-out-of-jail-free card for their story. She's like, oh, it smells like formaldehyde. Like, she knows – she just knows too much random stuff. But she's also the worst. Yes. Anyway. Um, But, you know, first of all, I do think that Dwight is smart enough to know – that you don't put your face up close to somebody like clearly this room is full of sick people. Um, and he goes like right up to this dude that looks like honestly on the edge of death. He's got buboes on his neck. He looks like he's about to expire and become a walker. And yet Dwayne is right in his face and like lets him cough on him. And <laughs> you know, look, there are certain, I mean, there's three forms of plague. Um, and pneumatic is certainly trans, able to to be able to like transmit from person to person so i don't know what the heck they're talking about um and uh this so this whole scenario where they would walk into this plague-ridden room and not take precautions in the way that they should seems weird to me um and then there's a very convenient explanation for why dwight gets the plague which is that he had had a rat in his sleeping bag but yeah, this does is, muddy the water a little bit as to who planted these bubonic rats in this building because yeah. it was clearly done on purpose. But so then how did the bubonic rat get into Dwight's sleeping bag right. days ago? Yeah. Um, and then my other, you know, my other thing, it's like get your plague science correct. And, 
even now they're figuring out new ways and they don't think that it was necessarily the way that they believe that it was transmitted. So it's sort of like, um, you know, the, the rats get a lot of, uh, bad, it's, it's possible, I suppose they think maybe from fleas. Um, but actually they, they now are saying, and this is like newer research that, um, it's the fleas bite, biting humans, that it is human to human transmission and that the rats can account for how quickly it spread. Um, mm. You know, not saying that that circumstances weren't that way when the plague actually like destroyed Europe, um, but they they just don't think that it, it's all explainable by the rats. So yeah, that, um, that would be that so. Would be so the yeah, so the idea of like throwing this in the building and having this be the way this transmitted seems strange. Also, them staying in the building seems st- even their explanation that people got sick. Well you know, clearly they've got something and you should probably be going, somebody can go out and look for like some medication or something, right? Like, yeah, I mean, if they've lived in this building for 10 years, I imagine that everything around them in a large radius, even if they were on foot has been scavenged because there's no way they had enough water for 10 years in this building, et cetera. So they must be in order to have survived. I, I'm, be, I'm willing to do a little bit of the, ex, uh, you know, the, the reach, the reach for that, for them. If, if they want us to believe that Nora has been wearing that same dress for 10 years, which it might, she might be honestly, but I don't think she'd be able to keep a revolver in her pocket. Uh, cause I think it would have fallen through the holes yeah. <laughs> in there. Uh, also there's the spray painted sign. The end is the beginning, which should, uh, tingle a little bell in your head because yeah. we saw those dudes painting it on that boat in the first episode. Mm-hmm. I will admit that I did not connect that the first time I watched this episode, you know, weeks between the first one of the season and the third one, I did not put those two and two together. It, it did not connect for me, but on the second viewing it did. I was like, Oh wait, it's those, those guys did that. And they show up even in the key. So, uh, kind of it's a, it's a thread that I am finding quite compelling in this, um, in this season so far. Um, I do the things I did like though, in terms of like, you know, fine, we'll give them this whole thing. It gives them kind of an adventure, a video game adventure through this building. Yeah. You know, we get to see this office building, a different way of people surviving, which I kind of liked. Um, we definitely have got Dwight and, and Al working together in a really nice way and getting up through this video game of an office building to the roof. And the goal is to get her up there. And I love that. And I also love that. You know, he leaves her. It's one of the few times that I've enjoyed the video portion of this, but he leaves her a little message, which is really sweet, um, mm-hmm. before she goes off on her helicopter ride of death, um, which, you know, she doesn't end up doing. She just decides to flare it and basically tell them there's plague there. Um, and of course, it seems to work out. Um, it, 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 yeah. The saying, don't come here, there's plague here. Yeah. That was not going to be a problem, obviously, for Isabel. So I'm not. It, like it, I'm trying to figure out what her real motivation is. Is it just that she doesn't want to actually have to see Isabel face to face and risk her shooting her or cause Isabel wouldn't have gotten the plague from being on the roof and getting gas. Right. Um, my, again, this does, this is a mystery to me. Maybe we'll come back to it later, but I also think that, um, she, maybe she's protecting the people in the building because they like, so maybe it's protecting them from Isabel's people. I don't know. That's what I kind of thought because she just didn't want to give up her uh, friendship and um, camaraderie with Dwight. And she does really love him and he loves her clearly. Like they are very much a team. So um, maybe it was just like, I can't give this up yet for something that I know that Isabel's part of this kind of weird 
faction. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we've got the, the big reveal in this episode, which didn't shock me at all. <laughs> no. Unfortunately, my Instagram was too... Yeah, there were. There, I think even before the season aired, they were talking about Sherry. Yeah, um, and I think we knew though. Even you know, we knew she was going to make an appearance at some point, even before they started teasing it, just because of everything in the last. But um, in any case, uh, Dwight and Sherry are, are reunited. Um, and okay, so one thing about Dwight that still confuses me is: Do you recall when he was having all these like crazy, bizarro memory issues? Yeah, that was, well, no, because it was really only ever referred to. And he never, um, you know, Austin Osiello, I think his name is, he never really followed through with that, with his portrayal of Dwight, I feel like. It was mentioned by his, by Sherry, uh, in a letter or something like that. But never, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, they didn't really it is, close a circle on it. it. They didn't close a circle on it. So it's just always something that, you know, you see him very, like, he's high-functioning. He clearly yeah. has got his wits about him. And they are portraying him now as somebody that is, like, totally fine. And it's not what we, like, so So I just wondered, I wish they had explained it, because I just wondered what had switched. So that's something I think that's weird. just a hang-up that we have. And I'll admit that initially, even when, so they, they show Al seeing Sherry and all this stuff. But at first I was like, oh, is he hallucinating this? Because he's a little bit of a, like, unreliable narrator. narrator. So um, they do have these other people in confirming the fact that he is with Sherry. But there is still almost a, a quality to it that feels as if it could be, like, a hallucination or something. Yeah, always. Um. But I think she's there. And that's, yeah, they, they hug that's great. They find Cipro. Everybody's cured. And um, they're going to take these people, these apart, these office building people to a new location, not to Lawton or one of Ginny's uh, settlements, because I think everybody agrees that Virginia and the pioneers or whatever their people are called are bad. These are bad people. Right. But, you know, again, Virginia and this is the other, you know, the inconsistencies that you have with like Virginia being knowing all her people knowing all. And we even see a little bit of this in Lawton in the next episode. But um, I don't know how they would keep this under wraps, basically. Um, which which part? Just the fact that they have this whole group of people that they're where are they going to put these people? I don't know. Oh, you mean for Al and Dwight? Yeah. To try like, and relocate just, a colony? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they keep this from... Uh, Virginia and the, mean, the pioneers, but realistically, Virginia and the pioneers shouldn't figure this out because, for Pete's sake, they, they they're not omnipotent and omniscient, right? Like this no, should be really doable in agreed. Texas. Agreed. Agreed. In theory, yes, but let's just you know. But we'll we'll move on. Um, yeah. So in any case, they're they're together. Um, we got a happy reunion, and then the next episode, uh, the key is very much. A John Tory episode, which we love. Um, it does start and end with Morgan uh, yeah. and Rufus. Yeah. Rufus the the bloodhound, and this this in this first scene is where he gives Rufus this jumpsuit that Daniel has found to sniff, and then he's like, "I'm going to drive back to the Gulch where they got rolled up by um, by Virginia." Yeah. So that that because that's where the trail is, and yet 
I mean, it's been weeks. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how bloodhounds work, but and, which is funny because neither does Morgan. He's nope. like, how does this work? And I, I kind of, I, I like that. I do like the dog just making these weird grunting noises. I like the, the, the sort of like dog Morgan thing. I think it's fun. Um, yeah. And they even, you know, they even take care of the dog when, when Morgan's in this little like fender bender um, no. later on. But, um, you know, I like and I and I do think it's funny how Morgan's like I don't want to go back to the gulch and like talking to him to the dog. It's just like mm-hmm. all right. Um, but before we get back to Morgan's storyline, or we can I guess we could wrap it up. It doesn't really necessarily matter. It doesn't really. But um, yeah, there's quite an interesting uh, tale on this story. He gets t boned. I wouldn't yeah. call it a fender bender. He gets rammed. Yeah. It looks like maybe it was an accident because it was just a t inter not a t intersection, a four way. Yeah. And they both appear to be going full speed. Yep. Or like 30. And he's... And spun around and... Yep. But the dog's okay because he had, you know, made a they weird make, decision. They make sure that we know the dog is okay. Yeah. I know. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, but anyway, um, it's the two gents, the two graffiti yards we saw looking for this key. They're still looking for the key. And Morgan makes short work of them. And he really, like, he takes out their wow. guts. It's pretty rough. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Yeah, and so they're dead, and like though they were the only connection we had to this key story, which to me only makes it more interesting. It's like, oh, this is going to keep going, and we have no other tie with these painted words or this need for this key or anything. And the bubonic uh, plagues, which you know we think yep. that they may have been responsible for that. So, um, yep. you know, so so we're probably going to find more out about this, but not from them, obviously. Um, right. And so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, so I'm sure we'll circle back to this. Um, have you watched all the, the available episodes? Cause I'm still kind of going. No, okay. I'm, uh, I had watched up to the Al and Dwight episode ah, okay. and then this, this one, the key was my first viewing. I stopped watching them cause I wanted to keep it fresh. Well, you know me, I get too, can, I, I start to mix things up and give things away. So I, I have to kind of yeah. make it, make it just what we're watching, uh, yeah. what we're supposed to watch. Um, but anyway, I'm sure this will come back. Um, and uh, the rest of this episode is very much a John Dory episode. And just he's become a bit of a sheriff, a law guy um, in Virginia's Lawton. Um, he's not with June. He sends her secret letters all the time. We get to see his day to day. Like he's got a bad tooth, um, which, you know what? I feel like a dentist would be a really good person to have in these communities. She's got a oncologist. I'm surprised. I would be surprised if she didn't have a dentist, uh, but also dental care and hygiene in the apocalypse is a serious thing. Yeah. And I'm kind of surprised it's taken us this many years to, to come to an it. episode of walking dead where they address it finally. Yeah. Cause you know, um, I don't know, like before there was sort of, before there was dental care, you even, even see sort of causes of death, a lot of the time just written out as teeth. Um, so like tooth infections and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff is serious stuff. Like you, and you know, more and more they're connecting things that happen with your teeth and it makes sense just bacteria wise and all that stuff. Um, but they're connecting that with a lot of stuff like inflammation and other things that can cause like heart attacks and all sorts of things. Um, that they're like, okay, good hygiene is really important. So you would imagine in an apocalypse that, you know, probably they could find enough toothpaste 
and fluoride and things like that um, in different places to last forever because there's not that many people left. And, you know, a little bit of toothpaste goes a long way. So I'm sort of surprised that there isn't, like, a stockpile of it that, you know, John Dory's just using this, like, baking soda, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, so that That's was interesting lovely. to me because I just feel like toothpaste, yeah, I know it's got, I know it's 10 years in, but it does have a pretty long shelf life. Um, so it sort of surprises me that they don't have some access to that. But I like the fact that they're even addressing it. This also... It felt like such a Western to me. Didn't it feel like that to you? Like very much like that kind of an episodic kind of mm-hmm. thing, even in how it's well, filmed. Yeah. And it's a murder mystery. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's def- it's like dirt roads, this little weird, whatever Lawton was before the apocalypse. If it's a museum town, it must be, I don't know. It's like, it doesn't, if it's not the Gulch, it feels like the Gulch, except yep. that it has white picket fences. Um, yeah. So it definitely feels like, yeah. Uh, and I mean, look, we see, we see his day to day. He's actually writing po- kind of positive things to June about this, which is how we find out all about this. Uh, we see him, and, and they lead really nicely into this because, like, he basically, um, he basically sees this. The main, the murder victim, um, basically, is uh, um, Cameron, and we see him drawing. We see John Dory interacting with him, and they do this a lot without, like, there's no conversation. Um, we just see that he relieves Cameron of, of watch duty and that kind of thing. And um, and then he ends up dead. Um, and we also see um, just sort of the, the general day-to-day in Lawton, which I think is, you know, it seems like a pretty safe place to live. Uh, John Dory, despite, you know, June being absent is his only real complaint and his tooth. Um, but overall, he seems to be like, okay, I kind of get what they're going for here, at least for a bit. And then the the big murder mystery thing comes up, which is nobody the camera yeah. issue. But I have I have a gripe with how fine he is with this life. Yeah, me too. Um, maybe he's just accepting his lot because they've all lost all their agency. But it, it it bothers me. And then when he sees when he and Strand have that reunion right after they find Cameron's body and he's told not to investigate it, basically. Yeah. Uh, and they're just like, hey, good to see you. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at this key you have. Oh, wow. Everything's great. I'm like, what? Yeah, How? it does seem very much not in line with what we know about John Dory because he's also somebody that is very much a truth seeker and doesn't make any bones about, you know, when things are wrong, he is he's like, OK, this has to be fixed. Like, I just don't see him sort of falling for the brainwashing in the way that he has. Um, and you're right. Like the whole weird thing with him and Strand, it's like, oh, everything's back to normal. I don't know that he would be okay. And I also don't know that Ginny would have put him in this role. I don't know. It felt, it all feels a little strange to me. Yeah. That feels strange. The, the fact that Ginny is like, he goes to her and tells her what he's thinking about things and I'm like, I'm sorry, we've seen last season. I mean, you were in it, John Dory. Yeah. You know she is not a trustworthy person. Why are you going to her with your honest opinions? Right. Like, is and he why, this naive? And also, why are you giving her, like, ways to set up people? So he gives her the evidence from the crime scene. Yeah. He he basically somehow thinks that his opinion is valuable to her, um, which we all know. Like, all the stuff with Ginny, we know who she is. So does he. So that this all feels strange to me. And again, it's got like a bit of a dreamlike quality to it. Like even towards the end of this episode, the way it's filmed is like just really super uh, desaturated. Um, and, you know, we have him basically trying to figure out 
um, how Cameron died. He knows there's been foul play. He traces it to this. He knows that it isn't Janice, although Janice is definitely set up for it and is caught trying to escape, and they've got Janice in prison. Um, we've got the rabbi being her spiritual advisor, but also advising John Dory. Um, and then all mixed up in this is Ginny basically sort of orchestrating this fake, you know, um, sort of solution, which is, you know, we're, we're going to find whoever quote unquote murdered Cameron, which clearly it's not Janice. And And it's, what's a shame also is that John has been pushing to get to the bottom of this and basically gets Janice killed. Also, Mm -hmm. I had to Google who Janice was because remember how she showed up a couple episodes ago and I was like, who the hell is Janice? Yeah. Uh, She was in like five episodes. Uh, She was in three episodes last season. She's Mm. Tom's sister. Um, yeah, I mm. mean, Tom was the guy who famously died in their recruitment video, and she was, and I think she shows up for the first time in that video in one of the worst episodes ever of this show. Oh. But that's who Janice is. Was Janice is dead now? Spoiler yeah. Alert. Um, and yeah, like, but you're totally right. That didn't. It definitely didn't sit well with me that he's just sort of like trusting Ginny so much with so much of his inside counsel, basically. No. I, I don't want to dump on his character too much, but cause Garrett Dillahunt does an amazing job. Oh, in he's amazing. Episode. I love him. That's why it upset me so much though. Yeah. But the, the story does feel like they're not doing him, uh, his, his character justice by making him so such a dope. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he also must really, he talks to Janice saying, you're like my only family here. And then the rabbi is in Lawton too, whose name I cannot remember. And he's known the, the, the two of them about the same amount of time. But for some reason he trusts, I mean, he must trust both of them because he also just tells the rabbi everything. Right. He's like, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going <laughs> to run away. Uh, right. and, and Strand, we have to talk about Strand. Yeah, and then Strand's, like, all in this, like, very strange position where he's now kind of on Ginny's side, and he, I mean, I think... he's 100%. He's a bad guy in this episode. Yeah, and he, like, is, you know, he basically hides what they're going to do to Janice. He basically says, oh, Janice knew she was going to take the fall for you. Like, and it's just super weird. Um, I don't, like... It's just all a very strange thing. And I look again, I love I love John Dory as a character. Um, and but I also all of this does not make sense to me. I don't believe that Ginny would have sort of gone through all of this and then made him one of her rangers because he's clearly questioning things that she's doing. Like even if, okay, you know, so Janice ends up dying. Um, and all right, take that whole thing well john dory's been going behind her back at doing investigating things she doesn't want him to investigate um he is like a liability to her and then she's making him this position it's just all very weird that doesn't feel like Ginny's behavior like what we've seen at all Mm. yeah Um, i mean i can explain her uh, promotion of him and bringing June onto the into the colony as like trying to settle things down because some, for some reason she values June, she values him, and that's the only reason they're alive. But also there must be some sort of balance that she's maintaining where she can't just kill everybody. 
or there would be some sort of rev- rebellion. Right. right, and clearly he's well-liked, and you can see that even him walking around. But, like, this whole yeah. thing with Janice, I just don't, again, I don't know that Strand and the, the rabbi would have sold her out like this. Um, and I do think yeah. that somebody would have tried to help her escape and not allow Ginny to do this to her. It feels weird that she was the sacrificial lamb. Um, and so that just isn't sitting well with me at all. Um, but again, you know, we, we, both of you and I called it and said that she was like a red shirt and she was, um, so there we go. She had, she had more lines than your average red shirt, but, um, I also want to call out that I super disagree with the, um, monologue he has. Well, it's more of a dialogue with the rabbi where he's like, yeah, my dad was this great cop. He totally planted evidence, but he was doing it for the right reasons. I'm like, nope, Mm -mm. I'm sorry. That is not okay. You cannot plant evidence. No. Uh, I disagree with you, John Dory. And so again, the writer's not exactly, um, I feel like he's more moral than, than that. Right. Agree. Uh, in a really like super, strict way like and we've seen this before um so again it's a little i don't know we'll see what happens um it was nice to see june again and it was again this also felt very almost like it wasn't real because you know even how they, they they then show him like pulling his own tooth out which i admit i had a hard time with it's just like a stressful thing to watch somebody do um, I also don't think you can actually fit pliers into your mouth like that. You just can't do it um, to get like that one tooth. You would need very specific dental uh-huh. equipment to do that. Yeah, it's right not going to just be a kind of plier thing. But um, yeah, you know. But even just having him and June re- reunited, um, you know, I, I I did like the piece where he was going to try to get Janice and run away, and he's so broken up about it. Um, that he's like literally crying into his hands. And I thought that that was like a very, he's a great actor. Um, Amazing. I just think he's one of my favorites. So I hope that they do him justice a little bit later on. Um, I just don't like him being portrayed as stupid and non-moral in ways. Once again, I feel like they try to retrofit some of these characters to go along with whatever storyline they're doing, um, which I think is the case here. Um, Strand describes the way he got Ginny to move up the execution was by saying that Janice was a flight risk and she's inside a, a cell. <laughs> so how does that not tell Ginny that she was expecting, like that John Dory was the one who's going to bust her out? Like basically Strand tells Ginny everything is what I think we can take away from yeah. this. Uh, it's it's it, weird. So that does, that does push it a little bit into the unbelievable that she would be like, yeah, I, I'm going to give you a promotion and keep you close. I mean, she's keeping him close, right? That's mm-hmm. what you do with enemies. But also, do you need that in, in a community? I don't know. Like a lot of this isn't making sense up to and including the point where anybody from the former group is okay being in this community and that they're not all trying to run away. So Charlie's run away. Janice has run away. That's why they were at that molasses factory. Mm -hmm. But why haven't everybody hasn't? Well, right. And then we've also got, you know, Ginny's sister, Dakota, who keeps making these like super subversive statements and like helping out this group specifically, which it's almost like, well, maybe she's like a spy. I don't know. This is like kind of strange that she keeps popping up to to help out our group. And it's specifically this group that she keeps trying to help. So I find that to be a little unusual. Uh, it was it was interesting. It was good, I think, by the director showrunners that she every time she tried to have a bit of dialogue with somebody, Ginny would show up and be like, uh, go away now, Dakota. 
<laughs> which I think is good because of the last time that Dakota did this. Of course, the last time she did this, she was like, there's a weapon in the in the factory. And there wasn't. It was just Strand's belief in himself or some BS. And this mm-hmm. time it's like she's covering for someone, which it does seem like she is. We still don't know who killed Cameron by the end of this episode. Nope. But we know the murder weapon, which is a bone handled knife missing a bit of of handle. Yeah. And we also know that there's some earrings involved. So. Uh, maybe those were planted, who knows, but that's, there's, right. there's those two clues. So we'll see, I suppose. Um, but Inspector, anyway, Inspector Dory will be on the case, no doubt. And look, despite my criticisms of this, I still really love this character. I like the character of June. I like Strand. Like I, I yeah. like this cast. So I just want to see the storyline just be a little bit more realistic from what we know about them. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we'll see them all reunited at some point in the future. But I just, again, it's sort of this question, and you and I have talked about this even in the last season, is like, how does this community even work if there's this much distrust and dissension? Because, there's- yeah, their their recruiting is really aggressive and un- unkind, and it involves murder. Right. And so, and- yeah, you're not going to have a nice community based on this type of, um, you know, bringing people in uh, against their will. Right. So, like, there's just no way to tie that community together, not in no. a way that's going to not turn. And, I mean, look, I think my my biggest issue with it is that we have seen in the main, in the canon Washing, Walking Dead show with the governor, like, and we with Negan. And we know that these types of communities don't work when people feel like, you know, I think the governor actually had a more, uh, like, cohesive community, I suppose. Um, but even with that and you didn't see as much dissension in the ranks, it still didn't work. So this is just a strange, I don't know. Well, we'll, I guess we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. Um, And I will say also that I'm, I'm, I've come around on strand and his story arc, even though it is a little bit like wavy up and down, up and down because he very consistently for the first, I don't know, three, four seasons was basically a borderline evil person right? Uh, who had some good tendencies. And now I think he like, as he did with, with that scene with Alicia, he's embracing his inner evil, his, his lesser angels and is going to be potentially like the big bad at some point in this show. And that's, I think probably fine. I think he might be, but I think he's also, look, he's still protecting his core people. I don't think he considered Janice to be his core people, but he does consider, you know, Salazar, yeah. he does consider Charlie, he does consider uh, John Tory, like his core people. I think he is probably, I mean, my guess is, and like, and I think, you know, when the rabbi and he talked together, I mean, look, they, they, those two sacrificed Janice without question. And I don't think the rabbi did. I think that was all Strand. The okay, rabbi says well, he, told him ab- he told him about it afterwards. Maybe, but even so, but I think Strand is like, okay, I'm going to keep this core group of people safe and yeah. we'll do whatever he needs to do. I mean, I think they're taking, they're his reason for doing it. So yeah. I don't think it's going to be a big bad in the way that we saw him in the first season, but I do think that we're going to have a comeuppance in terms of his people basically really just not tolerating that kind of behavior, especially from Alicia, I think is probably yeah. what's going to happen. It but it might mean he dies, but that's fine. Um, so I think we should, we should wrap it here. I think we've, we've covered these two in a, in a good way. These are good. I think both these episodes yeah. are basically good. I think this season so far is batting a hundred and oh, it's yeah. great. Or Definitely. A thousand, rather. Uh, so 
let us know what you think about these two episodes and the first four episodes of Fear the Walking Dead. You can email us at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at reanimatedpcast, and our show notes are online at reanimatedpodcast.com. And next week, we're going to get back together and talk about the next two episodes in the in the season, maybe three, because I think there's only three left. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's All right. Do so, it. yeah, let's let's round out the first half of the season. And we look forward to hearing from you. And thanks for listening. Thanks. Ciao.